Glad you could make it out here this morning. A lot of things going on, a lot of different activities. Glad you could take some time to join us here for the 10 o'clock service. Galatians chapter 6, Lord willing, time willing, we're going to do the first five verses of chapter 6 here this morning, which puts us in pretty good shape to finish up the chapter next week. Now, I'm going to be honest with you, this chapter here, I should say this first passage, this is not a passage that's a lot of fun. It's not a fun to do, be the one doing it, and it's not a lot of fun sometimes being on the end receiving it. But this is part of the beauty of going verse by verse through the Bible is you get to these passages and you stop and say, okay, Lord, for us to really be the body of Christ you called us to be, for us to really be the Christians you want us to be, this is what you want from us. You want us to lovingly get involved in each other's lives and say, I care enough about you to say, here's the truth. So with that being said, let's read verses 1 through 5, and we'll come back and break this down. It says, Brethren, if a man is overtaken in any trespass, you who are spiritual, restore such a one in a spirit of gentleness, considering yourself, lest you also be tempted. Bear one another's burdens, and so fulfill the law of Christ. For if anyone thinks himself to be something when he is nothing, he deceives himself. But let each one examine his own work, and then will have rejoicing in himself alone and not in another, for each one shall bear his own load. Now, the passage I like to start out with this comes out of uh, Proverbs 27. You don't need to turn there. I'm just going to read it to you. And I like it out of the New Living Translation. It says this, An open rebuke is better than hidden love. An open rebuke is better than hidden love. So often we say how much we love somebody. I love them. Do you love them enough to get involved in their lives and tell them I'm spiritually concerned about you? See, now at that time, we usually stop. Well, I don't want to do that. It would be awkward. I don't know what to say. Fill in the blank. Then I stop and say, well, then how much do we really love somebody? Because if you really love somebody, you love them enough to get involved. An open rebuke is better than concealed love. Is it fun? It is not fun. Is it easy? It is not easy. It is difficult to do. But we're called to that biblical standard to say, I care enough about you to do that. And this is what we're going to talk about this morning. If you've ever been on the receiving end of it and it's done in love, hopefully you know that that person cares. If you've ever been on the end giving it, I hope you do that in love to let the person know that you do care. But to put this into practice is what we need to do. So let's take a look at this. We already read it. Let's break this down now. The first word you see there in verse 1 is the idea of brethren. Brethren, if a man is overtaken in any trespass. This is Kyrie's the concept of the body of Christ, the brothers, sisters. Now I highly encourage Let the brothers minister to the brothers and let the sisters minister to the uh, sisters. We are called to be the church, the body of Christ, and we need to love each other enough to get involved in their lives. Now, there's a whole pattern in how it's supposed to look because I've seen a lot of people do it. Now, we don't really enjoy it. It's not something we like. The problem is I know some people that enjoy it way too much. They love getting involved in other people's lives, and they love picking up the stones of life and finding the sin in other people's lives and calling them out on it. That's not what we're talking about right now. I love you enough to talk to you because I care. You are the brethren, the body of Christ. This is something that we don't really think about too much. God has called us to be a family, to be a unit. Problem is we spend so much of our time and energy focusing on this world, we don't really look around and say, wait a second, God has said these are my brothers and sisters in the Lord, and I'm supposed to be involved in their lives. I'm supposed to care. I'm supposed to notice So often we spend so much time focusing ourselves. I heard a pastor use this term and it really hit me. We worship at the altar of self. Well, what brings me joy today? What brings me happiness? That's what I'm going to focus on. Or I'm just going to focus on my little perfect family and I'm going to make my family wonderful, build this little house and fort to protect us and only focus on us when the Lord says, no, no, no. Train your family to go minister to others. Train your family to go look at other people and say they're hurting. They need love. 
and we need to go do that. We are the body of Christ, and we get involved because we care. A lot of times I'll have people come up to me over the years and say something effective. Hey, I haven't seen so-and-so in a while. And I'll know what's going on in so-and-so's life. I know they're not doing well. And I'll say, well, yeah, they haven't been here in a while. Why why don't you call them? Why don't you text them or something? Oh, no, I don't need to do that. I just wanted to check in. I haven't seen them in a while. And I'm thinking, no, right there, your heart, your heart was pricked for that person. The Lord is saying, here is something. Do you care enough now to follow up on it? Now, at the moment, we want to. But then as time goes on, we kind of talk ourselves out of it. Have you ever experienced that? I'll be somewhere, and out of the blue, someone's name will come to mind. And I'm like, you're right. I haven't seen them in a couple weeks. I hope they're doing okay. I make a list. I need to contact them. I'll write it down in my notebook. I'll get home a couple hours later, and I'll look at that. And it's like, well, now it seems awkward. What am I going to say? It's 7 o'clock. They're probably in bed. You know what I mean? You just start thinking of excuses and reasons, etc., And then what happens is the Lord at a moment stirred your heart to say, care for the body, but then we can talk ourselves out of it so simple and so easy. What am I supposed to say? This is what I say. Hey, you came to mind today praying for anything I keep in prayer. Hey, you're heavy on the heart. I care. What's going on? But as we talk ourselves out of it, all of a sudden that passion just starts to disappear and you stop and realize, I guess it wasn't there. But it was at the moment. So I just encourage you as you go through this lesson today with me and the Lord starts stirring your heart. He's saying, do you care for these people? Do you love these people? That's what the brethren is. Brethren, if a man is overtaken in any trespass, overtaken, that means literally caught by surprise. That these people are are, are tripping and falling. That's what trespass means. Some translate it fault. It is a fall. It's a trip. One translation called it a blunder. These people are going backwards Instead of forwards. And you can see it. You notice it. They maybe used to serve with you regularly and now you don't see them. They used to be at church all the time. Now you don't see them. They used to constantly talk about the Lord and now they don't. You run into them and there's that spiritual awkwardness. I can remember running into people that I haven't seen in a long time. Be it at Ron's and Dash or a Walmart and they see us. We make eye contact. And I'm not kidding. They literally run. Because there's that awkwardness. They're overtaken. They're in a trespass. They're going backwards instead of forwards. Do we care? We need to care enough to get involved, to love them. So what are we supposed to do? You who are spiritual, restore. First off, you who are spiritual, literally means live by the Spirit. So as you live by the Spirit, you want to act on that. You want to do something about that. So as we live by the Spirit, okay, Lord, this is my focus. This is my direction in life. I want to do something. But the problem is when you're constantly just focusing on yourself, your family, whatever, your activities, your calendar, you're not really living by the Spirit. Yeah, you have a good, nice life. You're happy. But there's something deeper. There's something deeper in realizing, wait a second, Lord, this is not about me. This is not about what brings me joy, peace, and happiness. This is about furthering the gospel and getting that mindset so often. When we were up in Dearborn this last week, you know, we went up Sunday and stayed a couple nights, got back Tuesday. Um, One of the outreaches that we did, we went to a park. And at the park, they handed out, I think George said, close to like 500 flyers just at that park. And so we're at this park up in Dearborn, and we're kind of looking around. And there's hundreds of people there, hundreds of people there. And so I, I don't know what the political correct way to express this is, so know my heart. But it was my wife and I, 
and our five kids, so there's seven of us, and Pastor George's wife, so there's eight. So of, of the hundreds and hundreds of people at this park, there were eight people that were white. Everybody else was Arabic, Muslim, full burqas, walking around, Arabic everywhere. And you realize we're in a totally different world. And so parents are playing with their kids. There's very social norms in the Muslim community that are being followed, etc. And I'm looking around and I realize, wait a second. All these people are probably going to hell. Because they are rejecting the gospel of Jesus Christ. Now, if I go up to a park in Toledo or someplace like that and it's full of people, I can at least convince myself, ah, there's there's going to be some saved people here. Have you ever had that where it's like if the rapture would happen right now, who's left? I think about that a lot on Sunday mornings. I look out at you guys. I'm thinking if the rapture would happen right now, would this whole building disappear? I don't know. And so what happens is I'm up at that park and I'm thinking, Lord, you're making this one pretty obvious. These people don't know you. They're stuck in this false religion. And all of a sudden, it's like, realize, does that even move me to think that all these people are dying and going to hell? Or am I okay with just moving on with my life? I I tell you, Christians, we've got to get to the point when we live by the Spirit that we quit looking at us and we look past us and we look towards eternity. We get so caught up. I've asked this question to a lot of people lately because I ask myself this. Think of the last thing you got frustrated and upset about. Did it have anything to do with eternity or heaven or hell? Probably not. But we allow it to control us. So do we live by the Spirit? That's what it means to be spiritual. And then now we're supposed to go restore a person. Restore them. We're just not supposed to rejoice that they're falling. I've seen Christians do that. Well, this is what he deserved. This is what he asked for. Yeah, I don't rejoice in that. That breaks my heart. I'm supposed to restore them. Well, we need to attack them. No, we're not supposed to attack them. We're supposed to restore them. According to this Greek word, it literally means fixing a broken arm. This person is broken. Yeah, they're wrong. Yeah, they're causing problems. But we're supposed to restore them. The phrase that we use out here a lot, we're supposed to equip, not whip. Now, if you look in the Bible at the forms of discipline... This is the easiest form of discipline in the Bible. This is, I love you, and I'm going to come to you, and I'm going to, as the biblical definition is, I admonish you, I warn you, I'm concerned about you. And I don't want to see you go down a path that's not going to be good. There's other steps that follow. You know, in First and Second Corinthians, you see the Bible saying, give them over to Satan for the destruction of the flesh, that their soul may be saved. That you stop and you say, listen, I can't fellowship with you because of the path you're choosing to go. I love you enough to say, I have to back off. In Matthew 18, you get to the point where you can even say, listen, we can't let you be here because it's causing such disruption. This is the first step of a very long process. And the problem is a lot of times we want to jump ahead to attacking. I know some believers that really want to bring back stoning. They really do. They love that idea of let's just call it out and tell them they're wrong. There comes to that point. But what I see right here is we're supposed to restore Now, the problem is we don't want to restore. So what do we do sometimes when we don't want to restore? We ignore. Let's just pretend the person doesn't exist anymore. I don't want to deal with it anymore, okay? You know, I I don't know how many times I've heard, you know, if that person's going to be coming to church, then I'm not going in there anymore, and I'm going to go find a different church. Now, jump back a couple of thousand years ago to when you were at the church of Corinth, and there wasn't a church at every corner. It's pretty hard to get away from the body of Christ. But nowadays, we just disappear and just say, I don't want to deal with it. The Lord says, wait a second, sometimes you've got to deal with it. 
I don't want to. Well, I, I understand. Sometimes I don't want to do stuff. But if we're being spiritual, we're supposed to try to restore. And how to restore in a spirit of gentleness. Gentleness. Not attacking. Not aggressive. Not whatever. There comes time of aggression later on. Biblical spirit-led aggression. Please do remember your Savior who loves you and died for you and loved you also looked at the Pharisees and Sadducees and said, you sons of hell. There comes a time where you need to be very straightforward and very blunt. But what we're dealing with here in Galatians 6 is the brethren that is tripping, falling, going backwards instead of forwards, and we want to help correct them. We want to love them. So we're supposed to do it in a spirit of gentleness. So if you put this together, very simple, it's just four steps. Number one, love them. Love the body. Step one. Number two, be spirit-led. Number three, do it gently. Number four, do it humbly. Look at the last part of verse one. Considering yourself, lest you also be tempted. If you're going to go get involved in someone's life, you do those four things. You love them. You really love them. I love you enough to tell you. Number two, it's spirit-led. You pray over it. You fast over it. You get ready for it. Number three, you do it gently. And number four, you do it humbly. Considering yourself, it says at the end of verse 1. You take a look at yourself before you go and get involved in someone else's life. Now, the problem is some of us look at ourselves and say, okay, this is why I don't do it. I can't. I can't go talk to them because I'm doing the same things. Then I say this lovingly, and I hope it doesn't come across the wrong way. If you know there's areas in your life that's keeping you from ministering to other people, then the Lord is revealing to you, you need to fix those areas. So if the Lord is saying you can't go help someone else because of what's going on in your personal life, then it's a good opportunity for you to say, Lord, I need help. Number two, I can't. Why? It's too hard. It's too hard. What do you mean it's too hard? You love them. So since you love them, it is not hard because you care so much about this person. You stop and say, I I, I can't let this go on. Well, how about the next one? It would be awkward. It would be awkward. You know what's more awkward? Standing before God and trying to explain to God why you didn't do it. Because if the Lord has called you to, then we need to be obedient to it. Love the body, spirit-led, gently, humbly. That's what we need to do. Now, once again, we can overthink this and talk ourselves out of it. As you're going through this message today, you may have somebody that's on your heart that you say, I I need to go talk to them. I'm concerned about them spiritually. Love them enough to get involved. And you're going to have those thoughts and feelings right now. And by the time you leave church, you go home and you eat lunch, it's going to be like, well, you know, I guess it just really wasn't the moment. Let me just share a quick little testimony about that. We had a situation that happened this week. As you guys know, we do foster care. And we got a phone call Thursday night for an emergency respite is what they call it. Situation that they need somebody right now. So, you know, we, we said, yeah, we can do this. So, you know, this little gal came to our house. Uh, we've had her one time, time before, and she came Thursday night, and we just love her. I mean, she's just, just an adorable little gal, and we just think the world of her. And so we had her for one night, and just, wow, with everything she's going through. So Dawn says, do you think there's more? Do you think there's more in, in this ministry with this girl that, that we could be doing more. And so we just started kind of praying about it. And it's like, okay, Lord, is there more that we're supposed to do for this young lady? So we wanted to get ready to do devotions uh, Friday night because she had left. And so we wanted to watch this video. I wanted the boys to watch this video for devotions. And make a very long story short, the, the remote thing that we needed to turn on the machine to watch the video was dead. It's been dead for a week. 
the power supply cord broke, and so it's been dead for a week. So I don't even know why I went over and tried to turn on the remote thing, and it turned on. Turned on, turned on to have enough battery to get me to the YouTube channel and the TV to watch the, the video that we were going to do for devotions, and I'm not making this up. As soon as the video started, the thing died. So I stopped and said, okay, Lord, I guess you want us to watch this. So we watched this video, and it was all about this pastor that brought in this uh, girl into his, his life, and they adopted her and just loved her, and they already had, I think, six kids. And they just, you know, this is what it's supposed to be. And, when you, and I was like, wow, Lord, that's, that's what we're praying about. So we got done with the video. We shut it off, and we just said, okay, let's pray as a family here. Does the Lord have more in store for us? And so we're done praying about this. And then you're just like, okay. You know, and so we had to shut the thing off. And so we're getting ready for bed. So we turned the TV back on to shut, shut it off to make sure everything was shut down. And it's already gone on to the next couple of videos. So now we're on to the next couple of videos. And there's this woman. And as soon as we turn the TV on, the first thing she's talking about is adopting a child. And so, and then she's going on about how in James 1.27, it says you're supposed to go take care of the widows and the orphans. That's a verse that's really been heavy on our heart. Now I want to make sure you guys know this. I'm not saying everybody's called to foster care. I don't mean that. But everybody's called to take care of widows and orphans. You can't get around that. God said to do it. He said to said. So she said that, you know, they would get involved and get these phone calls for these kids that they kind of didn't want. And so, therefore, they kind of said, okay, but God said to take care of the orphans. So why are we trying to talk ourselves out of, you know, if God has already called us to take care of the orphans and there's an orphan that comes into your life that needs help, didn't God already kind of tell you what to do? I mean, it's kind of like you run into a guy at work and you're really frustrated with him. And you're like, I think I'm going to kill him. But I'm going to pray and fast about it first. So I'm just going to give it a day of prayer and fasting and decide, no, I think you already know you're not supposed to. So she said, basically, the Lord is, and I'm hearing this. And it's like, okay, Lord, you're just, this is what we need to hear. This is what the boys need to hear. Maybe you're calling us to something deeper. So then she keeps on giving her testimony with her husband. And next thing you know, they've adopted 11. And by that point, I'm like, well, Lord, that's not my calling. <laughs> you know, I've, I've, I've already talked myself out of it. I was cool with the one, Lord. You know, Matt, maybe your will. So by the end of the video, it's like, well, that was a nice little video. You know, let's, let's, let's shut this off before other things start happening, you know. And so what happens then is it, you get done and you're like, what do we need to do? And so at that Friday night, this is probably 10, 11 o'clock, I think Dawn was going to go get in the car and go kidnap her and bring her back. So, but then now as time goes on, you start to not nah, talk yourself out of it a little bit. You know, we're praying about it. You know, Lord, is there something more? I'm just telling you, I know what it's like to have that moment of passion and that moment of, Lord, I know this is what you're calling me to do. Then as time goes on, you start realizing how difficult it could be, how hard it could be, how awkward it could be. And I'd rather just stay in my little fort I'd rather stay in my little house. I'd rather just not deal with things. I would rather see a problem that's, that annoys me, angers me, frustrates me, and I'd rather just leave it and just pretend it doesn't exist. But that's not what we're called to do. And so when I see this passage, the Lord is saying, you can't do that. You've got to love them. You've got to really love them. So if you love somebody, we do this. So what else do we do then? Specifically, verse 2, we bear one another's burdens and so fulfill the law of Christ. Bear one another's burdens. That literally means carry a backpack. That's what it means. You see somebody carrying something and it's heavy for them, so you go help them. That's what it means. You know, Romans 12, 15 makes it pretty clear. Weep with those who weep, rejoice with those who rejoice. So if you see somebody carrying the backpack of life and they're full of sorrow and sadness, go weep with them. If somebody is excited about what God is doing, go rejoice with them. 
Put your own weeping on hold and rejoice. Put your own rejoicing on hold and weep. That's what we're supposed to do as the body of Christ. What does it look like to bear one another's burdens? I don't think this one is too complicated. I don't think it is. If they're spiritually struggling, pray with them. Send them verses, scriptures. Meet them for discipleship, Bible study. If they're struggling physically, help them if you can. If you can't, make some phone calls who can. It's amazing how so often people need physical help. Yards mowed, faucets fixed, etc. That's helping them bear their burdens. Emotionally, they're struggling. Just love them. Hey, I'll sit with you. Let's talk about this. And then let's end it with prayer. Because i got to get your focus back on Jesus. So often I've talked to people and they'll go on and on for a very long time. And at the end they're like, oh, I feel better. Okay, but we really didn't do anything. So I'm glad you feel better that you got it, quote unquote, off your chest. But I know how the system works. You're going to come right back to it. So I need to emotionally point you back towards Christ. And that's what we're going to kind of do right here. We have to learn to look past us. Our family, our life, our time. Man, we can be so selfish. Lord, we want to look towards you and the people that are hurting. Which then takes us to verse 3. For if anyone thinks himself to be something, when he is nothing, he deceives himself. Well, that verse in one translation basically says, I'm too important to help, is what it's saying. It says, you are misled, you deceive yourself. It means you are fooling yourself, you're imagining things. Basically, it is this. I'd really like to get involved, but I'm not the person to do that because I have to work with this person every day. So I'd rather have somebody who doesn't know this person come talk to this person so that way I don't have to hurt and harm my relationship. I've seen that a lot out here. People will come and say, hey, do you know so-and-so's doing this? No, I didn't know that. Hey, do you know they're really going backwards and falling and struggling? No, I didn't know that. Hey, will you go talk to them? Wait a second. You know what they're struggling with. You know what they're going through. You understand it, and you want me to be the hired gun to go in and be the bad guy. Listen, it sounds like the Lord laid it on your heart. It's not that I'm not willing to go talk to people, but you have the relationship. I know, I know, but if I go talk to them, it's really going to get bad. I I understand, and that's why you need to be spirit-led, love them, gentle and humble. I get that. But so often, verse 3, we talk ourselves out of it. We're deceiving ourselves. The most loving thing we can do sometimes is get involved in someone's life and say, I care. And once again, let me just keep repeating these four points because this is important. Lovingly, spirit-led, gently, and humbly. Because you can go in with guns a-blazing and you'll feel really good about yourself. And I've seen Christians do that. Oh, I told them. Yeah, but did you do it lovingly, spirit-led, gently, and humbly? We got to do it that way. Verse 4, let each one examine his own work and then he will have rejoicing in himself alone and not in another. Before you go talk to them, examine yourself. That's the same word used in our communion verses that we usually use in 1 Corinthians 11. Let a man examine himself before he partake of the bread. Also in 2 Corinthians 13, it's the same word where Paul comes right out. He's pretty straightforward on this. Test yourselves, examine yourselves. Are you really a Christian is what he asks. So before you go get involved in someone else's life, Look at your own life. This is not look at your own life to say, well, I guess I'm not good enough to go talk to them. No. If I'm going to go talk to somebody and I care enough to point out their trespasses, do I care enough about the trespasses in my life? Do I care? You know, Jesus summed it up very nicely. Before you go pull the speck out of someone else's eye, make sure you don't have a two-by-four in your eye. Lovingly care for them. What you're supposed to do, examine your own life, and then you'll have rejoicing in himself alone and not in another. No comparative Christianity. We have a tendency to do that as Christians. 
I'm going to go talk to this believer because I'm deeper and stronger than them. So there's this little pecking order. So I'm above them, so I go talk to them. I remember one time that I was admonished by somebody, and they were proper, they were correct, they did it right, and they were a spiritual bum. (laughs) And my first initial reaction in the flesh was, who are you? Who are you to come? And then I realized what they're saying was right. It was right. We've got to be done with this comparative Christianity thing. I heard a teaching years ago, and I've never forgot it. They said, as a pastor, as a ministry, never compare yourself to another church. Only two things can happen. Number one, you look at the other church, and you determine that you're better than that church. So the result of that will be pride. That's wrong. You'll look at that other church and determine that other church is better than your church. Well, then you will have the result of jealousy, which is wrong. There's no reason to compare. You love those who show up. You minister to those that come. That's what you do. But you also love them enough to say, hey, I haven't seen you in a while. Are you doing okay? But we got to focus on ministering and loving those that are here. And so we rejoice in ourselves alone. It's not about me trying to prove I'm better than you. It's not about you trying to prove you're better than me. It's not about me saying, well, look at you. No, look at you. No. We rejoice in our walk with Christ alone, but we're part of the body of Christ to help and encourage each other. And then we finished up with this. Verse 5, for each one shall bear his own load. Now that sounds contradictory to what you just read in verse 2, bear one another's burdens. Well, wait, for each one shall bear his own load. Now, if you're good old King Jamesers out there, it gets even more confusing because verse 2 and verse 5 each say burden. Bear one another's burdens, but in verse 5, each one shall bear his own burden. The problem is those are two completely different words in the Greek. Two completely different words. The first one we've already talked about, verse 2, is the idea of a backpack. You're helping somebody carry something. Verse 5, that idea of burden or load is a much different word. The best way to describe it is this idea of a ship carrying freight. And it's in the middle of the ocean and it's so weighed down by the freight, the ship is struggling. You would not once think, hey, I should probably jump in the ocean and help push. It would never cross your mind. you, You can't do anything about it. What the Lord is saying, there are burdens, verse 2, where the body of Christ can help. But he's saying in verse 5, there are some things, some things that a person can't really help with too much. What would that look like? I can only tell you what I've seen out here in my years of doing this, especially the loss of a loved one. If someone has lost a spouse, lost a dear friend, lost a child, etc., we can come in and pray. We can set up meals. We can give verses. We can give scriptures. We can hold their hands while they cry. We can hug them. We can do all those things. But it becomes a load that I can't take away that pain. I can't. If your faucet is leaking, I can call Richard. He'll come over and fix it. If you need to ride someplace, I can probably get a hold of somebody to get you there. You know, if you need prayer about something, hey, I heard there's some verses. If you come to me and say, I lost my dear loved one, I can't take away that pain. That's a load that, that you have to carry. Now, that doesn't mean I don't care. It doesn't mean you don't care. It doesn't mean that we don't pray and encourage. But it's saying is there is a spiritual load that we can't do anything for. So each one must bear his own load sometimes. Now, before you think that sounds just really bad, what a negative thing to end on. Verse 5, there are some things in life that are so difficult that no one can help you with. Already, what's called the worship team. No, that's not... Go to Matthew 11, please. Go to Matthew 11. You know people that have a load they're carrying that you can't take that load away from them. You know them, and your heart breaks for them. And you're sitting here thinking, what can I do to help them? Because you're right, I can't take away the hurt, the pain. 
But let me show you what we can do. Take a look in Matthew 11. Let's start in verse 28. Come to me, all you who labor and are heavy laden, and I will give you rest. Take my yoke upon you and learn from me, for I am gentle and lowly in heart, and you will find rest for your souls. For my yoke is easy and my burden is light. That last phrase, verse 30, my burden is light, is the same word translated load in Galatians 6, verse 5. They translate a burden here, but it's the same Greek word. So that burden, that load that you can't help the person with, Jesus says in verse 30, he goes, I got that one. So what is your job? To keep pointing them towards Christ. It sounds harsh, but it's not. It's very loving. I I can't take away that pain. I can't take away that hurt. I will cry with you. I will hug you. I will pray with you. I will give you scriptures. I'll do everything I can. But ultimately, the best thing I can do is, verse 30, keep pointing you towards Jesus. Because he says, my yoke is easy. My burden is light. And he's the only one that understands. I try to be careful. And every now and then it slips. I try not to say, I know what you're going through. Because most of the time, I don't know what you're going through. I may have a glimpse. I may have an understanding. I may have a small picture. But each pain is very unique. And so Jesus knows what you're going through. And his yoke is easy and his burden is light. Think about the term yoke. The yoke is two animals connected together, serving together. Jesus says, my yoke when I work with you is easy and light. Can you imagine Jesus being your co-worker? You look at the schedule, and your shift tomorrow is with Jesus. He's going to work hard. He's going to work diligently. He's going to be joyful. He may walk on water for fun. I mean, he's going to be a great co-worker. You would not come home and say, oh, how was work? It was awful. I was working with the Messiah again. No, you wouldn't say that. You would love it. So when Jesus in verse 30 says, my yoke is easy, my burden is light, take my yoke. Jesus is saying, let me come beside you, work with you, and help you. The problem is in our pride, and our sorrow, our sadness, we completely, utterly reject it. Dare we even say to the point sometimes of blaming. Why would I want your yoke, Jesus? Because if you're God, and you're sovereign, and you're this, that's just a lie from the pit of hell. This is what I've seen over years of ministry. There are some people that are carrying a burden and a load, and they like to stay at the bottom of the pit. They do. You can offer them scripture. You can offer them. They get more, sounds strange, they get more happiness over being discouraged and down than they would coming out of the pit. I don't know if they think they get more attention this way. Some people like people to feel bad for them. I don't know what it is. But they would rather stay at the bottom of the pit of life. There's nothing we can do about that. Jesus says, though my yoke is easy, my burden is light, I want to minister to you. But do we want him to do it? So let's put this all together now. Jump back here to Galatians chapter 6. Keep it simple. Verse 1. If you know a brother or sister that is struggling, they're going backwards instead of forwards, you're concerned about them. Love them. Be spirit-led. Talk to them gently. Talk to them humbly. That's the first step in a very long process because our goal is to restore them. Sometimes my flesh doesn't want to restore. Sometimes my flesh wants to attack. Nope, i got to let that go. We need to restore them. It's a broken arm that needs to be mended is what that word literally means. We then need to stop and realize I, in verse 2, need to help people. I, I just encourage you. I don't mean this to push. Look beyond 
Look beyond your spouse if you're married. Look beyond your kids if you have any. Look beyond your free time. There's a lot of people out there emotionally, spiritually, physically that are carrying burdens, and we can really go in and represent Jesus Christ to them. We can really do that. Verse 3, we're not too important. We're not too busy. We're not too whatever. Let's not make excuses. Verse 4, examine yourself. Lord, am I spiritually ready for this? I want to be ready for this, and I'm going to rejoice in serving you. Then lastly, verse 5, for those people that I can't help, and I don't hope that doesn't come across the way that sounds, I'm just going to keep pointing them towards Jesus because he's the one that can. What I want to finish with is this. Can you go with me to Matthew, please? Matthew 22. You know, Paul, in verse 3, talked about fulfilling the law of Christ. It's kind of interesting he would say that because if you've been studying with us through Galatians, there's been this huge battle in the book of Galatians between this group called the Judaizers and the Christians. The Judaizers wanted to say, bring back the law. All the Jews have summed it up. There's 613 rules and regulations in Exodus, Leviticus, and Deuteronomy. So fulfill the law. So yeah, great, accept Jesus. That's wonderful. But also do the law. Here Paul at the end says, actually, you want to fulfill the law? Fulfill the law of Christ. What is the law of Christ? Matthew 22, verse 34. But when the Pharisees heard that he had silenced the Sadducees, they gathered together. Then one of them, a lawyer, asked him, meaning Jesus, a question, testing him and saying, Teacher, which is the great commandment in the law? Jesus said to him, You shall love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, and with all your mind. This is the first and greatest commandment. And the second is like it. You shall love your neighbor as yourself. On these two commandments hang all the law and the prophets. What a great commentary. Great commentary. I can remember when I first got saved, you know, I can remember that, that hearing Jim say, let the Bible be the commentary for the Bible. Jesus says, hey, I'll summarize Exodus, Leviticus, and Deuteronomy for you. Two passages. Love God, love your neighbor. Now, think about this. I have people come up to me, and they're really searching, what is my calling in life? What am I supposed to do? What's my deeper purpose? Isn't it great that Jesus already gave you one and two? He's already told you what the two most important things you can do in life is. Number one, love God with all your heart, with all your soul, with all your mind. Number two, love your neighbor as yourself. He's already told you what the first two most important things you can do in life is. That's it. Now, and I'll think about this. If I would ask you what's the most important thing you do, if I would come and in, in my own life sometimes, it's like, well, the most important thing I could do is I want to make sure Dawn's good. Jesus will take care of Dawn. Why, well, I want to give my boys the best childhood. Maybe the best childhood is not what I think it is. Maybe the best childhood is living other places where they don't have all the luxuries we have and they don't have all the things. Maybe the best childhood is teaching them, hey, it's not about you guys, boys, but we're going to keep ministering and loving people. You know, what's the most important thing? Well, I've got to make sure this church is, is perfect. Well, maybe that's not the goal. See, I I think sometimes we have these good intentions that can sometimes get in the way of, number one, do you love your God with all your heart, with all your soul, and with all your mind? That's just the first thing right there. Do you have that? Is is he the one that's your focus? Dawn and I have been reading this wonderful book on marriage, and, and one of the things that it keeps coming back and saying is, quit trying to have the happy marriage. Because happy marriages don't go into heaven. Saved marriages go into heaven. It's the idea of we try so hard to make everybody around us happy so they like, no. Dawn and I have been brought together in Jesus Christ to proclaim the gospel and to see God glorified. God said you two can work together better than what you could separately, so I've called you together to do this. That's changed our marriage. 
So they're a team. We're a team. We're focusing. And also, hey, James and Dawn, I'm going to let you have some kids come into your house for a while. I don't know how long they'll be there. I'm even talking to my own biological children. But your job is to disciple them. To disciple them to then go out and they're supposed to impact the world. So therefore, your job is to train them just to go tell people about Jesus and glorify the Lord. Oh, hey, and James, you get a job that you actually get to come minister to a church. And that church, no, your job is not to make sure it's full. It's not to make sure it's perfect. It's not to make sure it's wonderful. Your job is to equip them when you see them to go tell people about Jesus and glorify God. How? That's great. I don't have to sit there and say, what's my deeper purpose? My deeper purpose is verse 37. Love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, with all your mind. Okay, then what am I supposed to do next, Lord? Verse 39. Love everybody. Love your neighbor. Love them. Put other people first. Minister to others. Represent that. And that's when real joy and peace comes. I I tell you, I can only speak from my own personal experience. When when we have reached a point in our family and our marriage and everything, when we start realizing it's not about us and our free time and our whatever, it's about the Lord. All of a sudden, it's like, okay, God, now we get it. I just want to encourage you with that. So what is fulfilling the law of Christ? I think we get a pretty good picture here in Matthew chapter 22. So worship team, if you want to come forward here for the final song, let's pray this into our lives. Lord, it's one thing to talk about it.